This is the sound of a blizzard treat at DQ. But it also sounds like a weekend bike ride, a post-game celebration, and a sunset on the dock. Wow! Doesn't a blizzard treat sound good? Stop by DQ and grab one today, like new Oreo fudge brownie. Thanks for being the sweetest fans in the world. DQ. Happy tastes good. Exploring the world of wireless theaters, the Springheel Saga, The Springheel Files, investigated by Cameron K. McEwen. File 2, If All the Worlds Are Stage. The wireless theater company's The Springheel Saga returns for its second series, which means one thing, Springheel Jack is back. The second series has his rejoined police officer Jonah Smith, now a detective inspector, some years after the apparent demise of Spring Hill Jack in the fiery climax of the first series. No! No! You're supposed to die with me! No! Moving the story on several years, Smith finds himself again on the path of his old adversary when Spring Hill Jack is linked to the brutal murder of Maria Davies. It's time to face the terror of London. The Legend of Spring Hill Jack opens up in 1845 with the murder of Maria Davis, who probably never really existed, and Jack certainly didn't kill her, but the idea that he did has, over the years, become part of the, the wider mythology of the Spring Hill Jack legend. Last time around, Springheel Jack was a demonic figure of fear, but now it appears he's seen quite differently, and London is in the grip of Springheel mania. We wanted to include Springheel Jack's elevation into popular culture on the stages of Penny Gaffs and in the pages of Penny Dreadfuls, and the murder of Maria Davis was just the one dark event in 1845 that kicked off his second wave. You do know what Springheel Jack is, don't you? What? On seats. Building the world of the second series like the first was carefully approached in the writing phase, as co-writer and producer Jack Bowman explains. It's not necessarily about creating that world that you think Sherlock Holmes could walk through the door and, and shake hands with Fagan because he wants a bit of information from the Baker Street boys. Given the first series closely followed real-life events, I consulted with 14 expert Steve Ash, who I had met some months before when I first investigated the Springheel Jack legend. This time, over a pint at the Morgan Arms, he seemed a little more relaxed around me and more willing to discuss things. So let's start with Maria Davies. Who was she? She was supposed to be a prostitute that was found dead in a ditch, allegedly, but there's no official documentation to support that whatsoever, as far as I know. So is it possible Springheel Jack killed such a person? Almost certainly not, I think. Some of the recent research that's been done into trying to find um, details of this can't even find any references to Maria Davis at all. So, just a few years after the events of the strange case of Springheel Jack, it seems all has changed for the elusive terror of London. His mystery, romance and adventure and the greatest story of our age. With that in mind, I wondered, 
Why begin the second series here? By the 1840s, Old Jack had become something of a theatrical icon. Robert Valentine and Jack Bowman explain. In Spring Hill Jack 2, we bring in Spring Hill Mania when mm. basically he's sighted all up and down the country and has entered the popular consciousness as a folk hero and as someone who you are less likely to meet on a London street, but you're guaranteed to meet on the stage of a penny gaff or in the pages of a penny dreadful. Steve Ash elaborated on this for me. Penny Dreadful at the time was a kind of um, a novel with a sort of a graphic image on the cover and a short novel sold for a penny, which was um, you know, very popular and it was, had a wide circulation. Last time we saw Smith, he was very much a man alone, but with a sense that Jack was still at large. Smith is now a detective inspector, a very solitary man obsessed with catching Springhill Jack. Of course, by this point, he's no longer this phantom attacker who's considered a real threat, and so Smith is no longer respected or taken seriously. Christopher Finney, who plays Smith, continues... He's kind of an outcast. There are certain um, colleagues that sort of look at him in a slightly suspicious way and, and um, don't quite trust him. What did I tell you? Scary Smith? Inspector Garrick, guess who? Done. Smith's investigations bring him into the path of Inspector Garrick, played by Neil McCormick, and Sergeant Skiers, played by Philip Lawrence. Inspector Garrick, I didn't expect to find you here. This isn't your patch, Smith. It's not yours either, yet here we are. How did they approach the character dynamic between the three of them? I asked Neil McCormick. The script for this was so well written that there was such a beautiful bedrock to build on with the character of Inspector Garrick. Philip Lawrence further explains... I think a lot of its strength is in its familiarity. It borrows from so many things. I don't want him called Scary Smith or anything else other than Sir in my presence again. They're also both obsessed in their own ways. Smith is obsessed with Springhill Jack and Inspector Garrick is obsessed with catching master criminal Dreadful Penny. But just when things are looking bleak... Smith doesn't see it coming. There's a knock at the door. Hello, Joe. Charlotte Fitzrandolph, last seen at the end of the first series, returns to Jonah, having spent several years investigating spring Jack herself. In the second series, Charlotte's pretty different. She's a bit more worldly-wise, but I also think she's a bit more sad. She's kind of full of regret about Jonah and, and what could have been. In this series, we meet a collection of theatrical characters. However, the one person particularly excited to be there is our narrator, James Malcolm Reimer. Who the bloody hell are you? Oh, my card. James Malcolm Reimer. Freelance journalist for the News of the World. Possibly one of the most important characters in Spring Hill Jack 2 is James M. Reimer, played by John Holden White. Also, author of The Black Monk. Perhaps you've heard of it. We needed a journalist figure who would represent all of the writers of Penny Dreadfuls. So we used Reimer as a vessel for all of them. So, was he a simple fictional creation? Robert Valentine tells me otherwise. The real Reimer was indeed a writer of Penny Dreadfuls. He wrote such works as Varney the Vampire, Ada the Betrayed, and The String of Pearls which was, I think, one of the, if not the, first appearance of Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. With Charlotte's return and the arrival of James Reimer in his life, Smith is soon back on the trail, drawn to London's seedier theatre world. He re-meets Jack in the most unlikely place. Oh, no! It's 
spring Jack in Punch and Judy? I asked Steve Ash about this. Well, according to a Victorian journalist, Henry Mayhew, um, he did indeed, when the devil was actually called spring Jack. Um, we don't know if, if there was any character change. I imagine it was still the same character, the same story. It was just that the devil was referred to as spring Jack. However, for this sequence to work, the team had to call in Jane Dean, who provided all the specialist voice work as Mr Punch, as well as the mysterious copycat Jack throughout series two, with the aid of a swazzle. I learnt how to swazzle when I was 21-ish. It was my first job out of drama school and I had to learn how to do a Punch and Judy show. I asked how difficult it was to use. I think it took me about a week to get it right and uh, about a week to actually stop gagging on the swazzle mechanism. No Punch and Judy man can call himself a professor until he swallowed his swazzled at least twice. Swallowed his what? I wondered if there were differences in swazzling for radio rather than for live theatre. I've only ever done swazzling as part of a live show before, so to do swazzling on the radio is a little bit different. Well, there's more acting involved, I think, and also like other actors in the radio show, I was also being directed uh, and being told what to do. Do I need to be louder, quieter, more menacing, more, more sinister, more scary, more frantic? Next up at the Penny Gaff is a melodramatic performance by actors Makepeace and Thackeray, performing the murder in the Red Barn. Thank you! Thank you! Welcome all to Here I Am, the murder in the Red, Red Barn. Which has its roots in another real-life event, so Steve Ash tells me. Well, the Red Barn was a big sensation at the time, and it was another one of those cases which was fictionalised and it became the focus of many sort of plays and ballads and things like this. It was actually a murder. One Maria Martin was murdered by her fiancé, William Cordo, in 1827, and James Lee tracked down the murderer and arrested him. You are Detective Inspector Jonah Smith, aren't you? The policeman sworn to capture spring Jack. The same Jonah Smith of Scratch Row who arrested Thomas Milbank at Old Ford. That wasn't me, that was James Lee. James Lee, who arrested the Red Barn murderer, William Corder, was also the arresting officer who arrested Thomas Milbank in the original Spring Hill Jack case as well. So it all tied in. It's also lovely to use that play because it was next to Spring Hill Jack, the comparable thing. In terms it was a blockbuster. It was, yeah. yeah. Also, it seems, the writing team went to great lengths to explore the world of the Red Barn play itself. It came from a book by Michael Kagareff, who put together a load of Victorian melodramas. As the episode reaches its climax, and both the investigation and the play unfold, Charlotte reveals there may now be more at stake than even Smith realised. What's his name? Joe, you must listen. I told him everything, and now we are in terrible danger. Which leads to a shocking development. Spoiler alert, listeners. But in Paris, he called himself... Charlotte? Joe! But how did they break the news to Jessica Dennis? Jack Bowman explains. We had a, a test read through the scripts before we'd taken them into production, and Jess Dennis came along and we hadn't told her she was going to be killed off. So we got to the end of the uh, the first episode where Charlotte died, and she kind of looked at me, I looked at her, I mouthed sorry. I found out that poor old Charlotte was being killed off. Unbelievable. Uh, the read-through of the second series. Just sort of sat down and there it was in black and white. When you're having a read-through, the actors are your audience. 
So we wanted to judge the effect her death would have, and the only way to do that was not tell them what was going to happen. I asked Jessica how she felt about this. Yeah, I was upset about it because I would have liked to have seen her and Smith have some happiness with each other. But why take this dramatic step? Well, the decision to kill off Charlotte was built in because we knew we wanted to do a 39 steps style approach to this particular adventure. And Charlotte was the character to bring back with information and then kill her. Christopher Finney had his own feelings on this murderous plot twist. Yeah, everybody loves a good death scene and, and you know to get into it and play that scene and play Smith's reaction to what happens to her was um, pretty heartbreaking for him. It just works so beautifully. You know, the audience has a relationship with her by this point and really likes her by this point. So if you kill her, it's kind of like killing hooks. You kind of guaranteed an emotional reaction from doing so. He killed her! Wait! Get back! Go away from me! Things happen to Smith that change him. The death of Charlotte has a, a profound impact on him, but, but sort of drives him even more, I think, after that, to pursue the journey and, and find out what it all means. By the end of the first episode of The Legend of spring Jack, Smith is on the run, accused of a murder he didn't commit. Who killed Charlotte Fitzrandolph? What connects her death to the Harlequin players? Who was the man she met in Paris? And who can Smith trust in his pursuit of the truth? And so Smith ran. A dozen Irishmen hot on his heels, and poor Charlotte's blood still warm on his hands. The next episode will see Smith look for new alliances, face new threats, as well as watch his former colleagues turn against him. In my next file, I will explore the characters around Smith as he fights to stay one step ahead of the law, which he swore to uphold. So, dear listener, we are next. Next up, Bartholomew Fair. Next time... File 3. All the fun of the fair. The Springheel files were investigated by Cameron K. McEwen. Production assistant, Emily Best. It was edited by Marie Twayje. With thanks to George Maddox. Visit www.wirelesstheatre.com to download full episodes of the Springheel saga. The Springheel Files were produced by Jack Bowman and Robert Valentine for Wireless Theatre.